Namaste. My name is Hariprasad Verma. I am an executive coach, Lego serious play and process work facilitator and a yoga therapist. Welcome to Yogavani, a podcast where I bring to you ideas and journeys from the world of yoga and healing through conversations with therapists, practitioners and healers. I hope you enjoy and find it interesting the conversations and dialogues I have in this podcast and I look forward to your reflections and feedback. For the inaugural episode of Yogavani podcast, I have with me a very special friend, colleague and also an amazing yoga therapist. Her name is Stephanie Jane. Since 2012, Stephanie has been a dedicated student of Hatha Yoga. Today, she serves as a yoga therapist in the US in the tradition of Sri T. Krishnamacharya. As a recovering perfectionist, Stephanie guides others along a journey of self-transformation through one-on-one sessions, small group workshops and immersive retreats. I hope you find this conversation interesting and insightful. Look forward to your reflections and feedback. Thank you. Okay, so thank you, Stephanie, for joining for this podcast and accepting my invite to be part of the Yogavani podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Hari. So glad to be here with you. Yeah. So um, why don't we just start with the first basic question. Being a yoga therapist, being on this path of yoga, um, what does yoga mean for you today? I love that question today because what yoga means to me certainly has evolved over the last um, nine, 10 years that I've been practicing. So as of today, I think there are two dimensions of what yoga means to me. One dimension is what it means to me personally or to my own inner world. And that is a process of listening within really listening to um, the different parts of me, listening to what's arising within me moment to moment, and choosing in those moments how I'd like to respond to a situation. Yoga has also become a process of, I think, refining that listening and refining the practice so that it further refines the listening. So that happens slowly, incrementally, but I think those two things stand out to me for the inward experience or inner dimension of yoga, listening and refining. The other dimension of what yoga means to me is more outward facing. Like how do I engage in the world around me? And as a yoga therapist, as a teacher, yoga means to me being in service being in service to other beings, to other people, being in service to the sense that there's some kind of greater good, there's something that's beyond us that we can help each other move toward. And living that out is coming into dharma 
for me. It's a, it's a sense of being in alignment or being in harmony with my personal life calling and with a, I think a greater, uh, a greater calling that's beyond us. Beautiful. Thanks. I think uh, one thing that really stand out for me in how you are sharing about yoga for you is the process of listening and refining. And mm -hmm. I think that by itself adds to the rest of what you are sharing about the inner alignment and in doing what you're doing, how is it in service of your context and the other. And so, uh, which also makes me curious to know. So if I recall, um, our paths crossed four years back, maybe 2019. Um, so I think we met in our yoga therapy program at Yoga Vahini. Yoga Vaidya. So, so I kind of are familiar with your yoga journey from that point on and off uh, pre-COVID, then online through COVID, all that. So why don't you share a little bit more about what has this journey been like for you? How did it begin? What was your starting point? Uh, what inspired you, first of all, to begin with? Were you always into yoga Things have certainly uh, changed for the world and for me within the last four years. But my journey began a little bit before that in 2011, I would say was a was like a milestone moment when I was in graduate school and one of our professors offered a course in our graduate program on mindfulness. So we read um, some work by John Kabat-Zinn we looked into some of the work of Julia Cameron, um, a number of different authors, and it was my first experience of engaging in just sitting quietly and paying attention to my senses. And then bringing that paying attention or that listening into daily tasks like eating or doing my studies, having a conversation, so that semester in that course, really, uh, it turned on a light for me, or you know, it lit the flame of the candle that's still burning. Because when I finished my graduate program and started working full time, I knew that I needed to take care of my body. And I knew that there was something to this mindfulness that I wanted to investigate further. So I took the a really, um, a, a good first step, I think, of joining a gym and taking some yoga classes at the gym. <laughs> and it was, it was really wonderful to take care of my body in that way. I felt, you know, challenged. I felt much more comfortable in my body. Um, I was able to pay attention to, wow, the places where I really hold so much tension and give some more care to those spaces. And um, I actually, I tell people I grew an inch in that time. My driver's license always said 5'2", and then suddenly it said 5'3", because I was actually sitting and standing with good posture. <laughs> so a lot, of, uh, a lot of good changes happened during that time. But I began to, uh, excuse me, I can continue to investigate and to feel curious. So I started um, participating in classes at a dedicated yoga studio. And one of my teachers uh, said, yeah, have you thought about teacher training? 
I keep seeing you in these classes. And I said, no, I have a full-time job. <laughs> I have a decent income. I'm, I'm enjoying coming to these classes very much, but it stayed with me. So I did eventually find a 200 hour TT program in the community and spent 10 months in that program for the first time delving into what is this thing that we call yoga? What are some of the fundamental concepts, the philosophical groundwork for this practice? And what, what is it that we're, that we're actually doing when we're moving and breathing and paying attention? So from that experience, I realized I have to share this thing that I've discovered for myself and that's really making some big changes in how I relate to myself, in my marriage, how I relate to my partner, how I engage in my work. I actually left my full-time work and began teaching full-time in my community. So um, those were kind of the first few big steps that then led to the most recent big step of recognizing how little I know and how, um, how challenging it can be in a large group setting to, to like really be of service to individuals. I was teaching these 20 person classes in a library space where um, I had two people in wheelchairs. I had a lady coming who was pregnant, another lady who had been um, postnatal for some time. I had people in their 20s and people in their 60s of all different life experiences. I later found out one student had been going through um, cancer treatment for a large portion of our time together. So I, I felt so limited in being able to serve them that I started investigating how can I, how can I learn more? Um, and that eventually led me to Yoga Vihini and the Yoga Vaidya program where we met four years ago. So since then, the, the transformation has, has just continued um, and it's been a really beautiful journey. That's beautiful. And uh, it's, um, I'm also realizing how you're delving deeper into yoga first started as a personal quest for health understanding your own body and uh, awareness and later um, to be of more service to your students um, and how that took you on this arc. So uh, a related question around this journey. I think when I met you, you were based out of Singapore. Then you came to India. Now you are back in US. So you are someone who has seen and experienced how students or people look at yoga across different continents around the world. Um, what has it informed you about yoga as a practice? Where does that leave you? Oh, that's a really interesting question. It leaves me hungry. <laughs> it leaves me thirsty because I think what I've, what I've seen um, in some of these different parts of the world where I've gotten to 
practice and to teach, I think we're just scratching the surface. I, th I think we're very much engaging. I mean, when I say we, I, I mean like humanity kind of at large, if I can generalize to that global scale, I think we're still really engaging with this practice on such a an external level or a gross level of, of of body of the physicality of yoga which is so powerful and yet it literally is the tip of the iceberg yoga takes can take us so much further actually to unplumbed depths that we don't even know how deep it can take us um, because this framework is so unending, the journey of being in this body is unending. And yoga is something that can carry us through a lifetime of exploration and discovery. So I'm not sure um, if that's quite the ground from where your question is arising, but that's that's the first response that comes to me. That's fine. I think that hunger has made you take all this journey also so um, it has been energizing and enlivening uh, from what i hear you what has been the challenges um, you mentioned about um, having transitioned from a well-paying career to taking up this journey to learn and teach and practice at a deeper level uh, surely there would have been some challenges that came were there moments of self-doubt about is this the thing to do? Uh, especially as a, a person who moved from a, being a working professional in a, I'm assuming a corporate setup. Uh, so what has that been like? What, what was the nature of challenges that you came across in this journey? Mm -hmm. Thank you for asking. Because it hasn't been, you know, just like, roses and enlightenment <laughs> um on a very practical side financially it's been challenging um and i th i think that anybody listening to this conversation who is also teaching yoga in some capacity can understand that um these practices aren't monetarily valued in the same way that uh, some of the stuff of our life is. So financially, I think it's been, it's been challenging to examine my own relationship to money and to engage in the money economy because I'm, I'm still living in this world. I still pay rent i still wear clothing and have to purchase my food from somebody else it's been challenging to reflect on my own relationship to money and then be able to vocalize to other people here's the value of my time in dollars and this is the exchange that we can make in you know you can give me these dollars and here's the i can offer you some tools for supporting your own health and well-being so I think practically that's been a challenge. Um, less tangibly, there's certainly been lots of self-doubt along the way um, that has thankfully provided motivation 
for me when I felt some of that pressure either without or within that, you know, okay, maybe there's something else that I could be doing. It's really brought me back to this inner light that's still bright, shining very brightly, that feels strongly that this is a life's purpose. This is what I'm here to do right now. I don't know if that'll change at some point later in the future, but I can certainly say with confidence right now, this is my purpose and I'm going to stay that course. I feel more motivated to stay that course when I bump up against doubt. Yeah. So I think those are two of the main things that come up for me right now. Yeah, I think those are very real challenges that um, almost all of us go through. Um, and the reality of being in a monetized economy where uh, I think personally for me also um, there is something little offsetting about being looked at as a service provider when you teach yoga because I think um, many of us start this journey from a deeply transformative experience and the inspiration to share it with more so at some level we know there is a lot of invaluable intangible uh, value to the offering but at the same time there's also a compulsion and a reality of having to put a tag of some kind to uh, not diminish its value in the mind of others so how do we hold that thread i think um, that's very critical um, mm -hmm. i think um, which also um, makes me uh, wonder um, i think one aspect of what you shared is also how do we really as yoga teachers or therapists communicate the value of what is being offered uh, because of course um, there are all sorts of transformative practices and experiences that are uh, promoted online and offline in the market economy and people are shelling out a lot of money for all of that uh, so so I think there is no dearth of need for people looking out for transformative experiences or practices. Um, from your personal experience of being on this journey, is there any one transformative practice that you have experienced or anchored yourself in the path of yoga? Yes. The one that has most recently been transformative and that I've been anchoring myself in is chanting, connecting to mantra. That's something I never would have imagined for myself because I actually actively resisted it the first few years of practicing and teaching. Um, something about it to me felt religious and at that time I was anti-religious. <laughs> I had, I was just, um, setting aside some of my own religious upbringing and experiencing, you know, some residual anger and uh, feeling very contrary, very anti at that time. Um, but actually through the experience of going to India, okay, as a, as a someone raised in the US, and married to an Indian person, but coming to India and studying with an Indian teacher who's steeped in this wisdom, in this way of being, 
the first time that we came together as a group in our Vaidya batch, and she chanted the opening prayers to Krishnamacharya and to Patanjali and Sahanavavatu, I felt so quiet and so at peace. It really surprised me. So in our, in our tradition, chanting is very important. And I love the way that we can weave it into a comprehensive practice. It doesn't have to be, you know, just sitting and reciting a mantra. It can come into the asana practice itself. It becomes integrated into pranayama. Um, and I've, I've really loved getting to explore that because it, I, I feel that it has changed how I can express myself vocally with my voice and otherwise, because that's, there's more energy flow from that space now. Yeah, that's been really big for me. That's wonderful to know. And I think that's also one of the uh, breakthroughs that many people experience with yoga. No? Some of the things which we never thought of or experienced or maybe have held a different notion, uh, things just change. At least for me, it was always the breath. I never realized the breath could teach me so much. So I think for each person, there's something that we say, oh, it is all around. The, the power of the sound, the chant. And so thanks for sharing that. I think, uh, so are you also uh, offering these practices in your teachings uh, to students in your own capacity? Chanting or how do you go about it? I'm also asking this because um, for people who might be listening, we haven't uh, spoken much about uh, what tradition you teach. You did refer to that right now. So why don't you share more about what, because there, you're in US, uh, like in any other country, there are umpteen styles of yoga. So what what is the style or the lineage of the yoga that you teach? <laughs> I'm very grateful. We share a lineage of Sri Ti Krishnamacharya. And um, feel free to jump in and to add on. And I know more will emerge in later conversations with, with other of our colleagues. Um, but this is a, a tradition and a lineage that has, has really integrated beautifully into our modern context because uh, Shriti Krishnamacharya and his son, Mr. Desi Kachar, really were able to listen and to see each individual in front of them and personalize the practices of yoga to best support that person in, in the moment, knowing that it could change over time. But whatever their need was, whether they were experiencing pain in the body or pain in the heart, they were able to personalize those practices. So that's what we've learned as part of this, um, our studies with Yoga Bahini um, and in this lineage is really being able to see and to listen to each person and from the wellspring of yoga, be able to pull out a few things that best supports that person, whether it's chanting, Breathing, I think, is across the board. 
everyone is breathing all the time and certainly needs to, you know, some particular movements, some daily habits or some lifestyle or food adjustments, these kinds of things. Um, what would you add to that about our tradition? I think you did touch upon the core, which is adapting the practice to the needs and abilities of the individual. And uh, I don't think there are, or at least I have not come across uh, other schools which pays that level of focus and detail to uh, listen to where the student is and help them take the next step rather than pushing towards helping them learn X number of postures or uh, go into some acrobatic uh, stance or things like that. So, so I think, and the other thing is, of course, about the focus on the function over the form. I think that's, uh, which also is an extension of what you just shared and looking at who is the person and what function can help them rather than what form can they achieve kind of. So, yeah, I think I hope that's also useful to the listeners who might be wondering what tradition we, uh, you were referring to. Um, can I add something else to that point? Because you just made something about what you just said made something clear to me that I still do teach some group classes mm -hmm. um, and in those group classes I'm doing doing what I can to honor this lineage and offer with reverence in a way that my students here can receive but I find that to be really challenging and one of the contexts that I'm teaching right now I'm at a resort where people are on vacation and I see them for one or maybe two classes. So it's a very brief opportunity, a very small window. And I find so often these students that I'm encountering, these people that I'm uh, crossing paths with come to the mat or come to the practice with a lot of, um, like a nervousness or an anxiety that, okay, well, I have a little injury or I'm not very flexible, so I can't do things right, or, you know, please correct me. As if there's some kind of a standard, like a one size fits all yeah. epitome. And it's, I've found it challenging coming back to challenges. I've found it difficult to communicate having come from this lineage now and trying to, my best to bring it back to this space, I'm finding it challenging to communicate that it's, it's only you and you, you are the only person in your body. Mm -hmm. You have the opportunity and the responsibility to care for it through these practices in a group setting. I can give you some generalized ideas and suggestions for that. But it's not a golden standard that you're striving for. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think um, what I'm in touch with as I listen to you is one, um, the twin challenges, so to speak, that we are having to face because the mainstream narrative around yoga is almost similar to a gym practice today. So yes. there are these humongous chains of 
brands which uh, promote yoga where you take care of abs one day shoulder one day leg one day so uh, with a very specific set of sequences to do and everything so i think because of the sheer scale of many of these um, larger companies and brands a lot of people do get misinformed about oh so if i do yoga i can't do this stretch so let me altogether avoid um and not to mention the asana practice gets equal to yoga practice uh, without even knowing that there is a whole lot to it as you shared um the second is also i think uh, from what you shared i am in touch with even in a group setting uh, often times uh, uh, if we do manage to bring their mind to a certain sense of quietness um a lot of times it could perhaps open up a, a possibility for them to um, take the next step like i think the teacher who uh, asked you uh, why don't you get to a teacher training and that lingered in your mind at one point i think perhaps you could be that teacher to somebody else <laughs> in today's context um, so i think i am in touch with that possibility also yeah that's certainly the the hope just and this planting a little seed <laughs> yeah no really i think these are the small things which really creates a which seeds the possibility for a bigger change in many people's life right um which brings me to the next question which is what could be one small thing that can make a big impact for anyone who might be seeking better health so i know it's not a personalized suggestion but is there something that's on top of your mind which you feel that okay this is one small thing that perhaps you could uh, start to ponder about wonder about practice in your life which could make a big impact eventually what's actually the practice that you pointed to earlier as having been so transformative to you and that's the breath because it is the bridge between outer and inner, between body and mind. The breath um, negotiates these two parts of ourselves. And so that relationship can actually go both ways. Like when we're upset by a situation, our breath and our body changes. But the opposite is also true. We can change how we're breathing Mm -hmm. in order to change the experience of being in our body and change the experience of our emotional world in, a, in just a moment, in the span of one breath. So learning to just pay attention and watch one breath from beginning of inhale to completion of exhale, it can plant that seed of transformation. And you can take that further to learning to breathe in particular ways to um, to promote a response in the body and in the mind as well. So just to distill that down, the breath is, I think, that transformative practice. Wonderful. I'm very motivated to pause at this point so that whoever is listening can just take that one breath See if you can really stay with that breath. 
all from the start to the finish of inhale and back. Thank you for that. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so Stephanie, I know uh, part of our course happened uh, in person, part of it happened online. We are in the post-COVID world where a lot of things have moved online. How do you go about your teaching? Are you teaching primarily in person or are you also doing something online? How is your teaching or is there any specific theme that you are very inspired to delve deeper in your yoga therapy teaching or practice like a topic or a issue mm. one is around the medium one is around the theme yeah okay so the medium has shifted to more in-person experiences over the last year i'm so i moved back to the u.s a little over a year ago and was committed to offering online um, experiences and then starting to teach in person as well locally. And over the course of time, I felt like the people that I was serving online um, were, I don't know if they're, how to phrase it, it just fell away. The online offerings fell away and I think I got a little bit tired of being on the computer so much. <laughs> so right now I do teach primarily in person. I do have a couple of folks that I work with one to one online. Um, so that's the modality and then the second part of that question was kind of the content of what's coming up. Yeah, so what is there any because I know during the course of our three year program we did do cover different conditions and different aspects of therapy. You must have done your own research project on a specific condition. Is there anything that feels like you want to delve deeper? Maybe you have not started it yet, or maybe you have. Is there anything that you feel? This is one area I would like to go a little more deeper in yoga therapy. Yeah, thank you for that question, because that has arisen recently just in the last few months i've been listening to some podcasts um if i can make a little call out to some of the resources that i've connected to here sure. let's talk yoga is a, a wonderful podcast um, that i've really enjoyed connecting to these last few years and then recently um i've been listening to the Unapologetic Entrepreneur with Amanda McKinney. And her podcast actually started as Marketing Yoga with Confidence. And it was um, just like a really beautifully simple approach to bringing, um, kind of addressing some of these challenges that we spoke to earlier for yoga teachers. So she makes it so simple and feels so accessible but right from the beginning, like one of her first podcast episodes, she says, who is your dream student? 
who's that person that you really connect to, that you want to be serving, that you want to be working with, and let that inform how you share what you do. So I had to spend some time really reflecting on that because up until that point in my journey, even through yoga therapy, you know, we've worked with um, a lot of different people, a lot of different conditions. It's, it's been broad. And um, that's been really exciting and full of learning. And I think I'm ready to go a little bit deeper at this moment into my dream student who, if I look back over who I've worked with over the, just the last few years, there's been a trend of students that I've felt the most connected to or that I've made a, a stronger impact with. And as I looked back over those students and observed their patterns and their qualities, I realized that so much of what they were going through was a reflection of me. And so as I looked more closely at that, I connected to a word that probably not everybody connects with or everybody with these patterns connects with, but the word perfectionist I've, I've connected to these last few months as a way of recognizing my patterns of self-judgment and criticism. My own inner judge is really loud <laughs> and very forceful. <laughs> That's been true throughout my whole life. My, my relationship to that judge has changed through a deeper yoga practice. And in particular, during our time in the Vaidya program, really listening closely inward and then being able to express some of those inner experiences through drawing and through some other modalities was so hard for me, <laughs> so difficult and exactly what I needed. So where I'm at in my journey now with teaching is wanting to curate, is curating experiences for other people who have a loud or a strong inner judge or inner critic who might be challenged with their relationship to anger who often feel like the responsibility for doing things and doing them right rests solely on their shoulders. Um, I'm curating experiences for them one-to-one -one and in some small group settings where we can interact with one another, we can support one another while using these um, kind of external expressions to then reflect back on what's happening inside. So that's a long answer that I can then summarize in one key event that's coming up for me next year, um, August 30th to September 2nd. I'm hosting here locally, the perfect retreat for perfectionists. Wonderful. <laughs> this is which year this is happening from? 2024. Wow. One year from now. We planned it perfectly a year in advance. <laughs> yes. 
Okay. Yeah. So, so you're based in Tennessee, right? I mean, I, I remember we didn't speak about where in US you are. So before we uh, close, Stephanie, um, just uh, as a yoga therapist, when you look at the landscape of the health in US and maybe in Tennessee where you are, is there anything that you feel when you read the newspaper or watch on television that this is one condition which people could really benefit through yoga therapy and it's in your wish list that someday uh, you wish people uh, approached or took up yoga therapy as a complementing or a practice to engage with it. Um, is there anything like that? I think I just lost you for a second. Okay. Can you hear me? There you are. Yeah, I'll repeat that. I think the network fluctuated. Um, so, Stephanie, you are in US. And uh, when you look at the landscape of the health situation in US today, is there any condition, any pattern that you observe uh, in the health space where you feel that uh, I wish people took up yoga therapy as a complementary practice to engage, heal, or recover from that? Uh, is that something? Is there something like that that's in your wish list for the people in US? Oh, I love this question because I haven't I haven't thought about this in this way. This could be a really long list. <laughs> it really could be a long list. But if I had to identify one thing, it's that in the region where I live in East Tennessee, we are part of what's called the stroke belt. It's this region okay. has the highest incidence of stroke okay. in the country. Uh -huh. And I think that's in large part, and I've, I'm sure I could, um, I've, I've heard this from others, and I'm sure that there's more um, empirical evidence to back this up. So it's not merely conjecture. Conjecture. I, I think that it relates back to the diet and lifestyle of this area. Um, there's, the diet here is very meat heavy. If you just go around and see the people who are here, Many of them carry more body weight than is healthy for their joints and for their circulatory systems. And there's a high prevalence of smoking, which we know contributes to stroke and to heart disease and to lung disease. So I would say um, to my neighbors here who have experienced stroke or who may be at risk for experiencing stroke that a personalized yoga therapy practice can be such a powerful complement to whatever it is that you're doing. And it can be potent preventative medicine for the future you, because this practice is a way of coming into relationship with ourselves so that we actually want to take care of the body that we have while we're so that we want to take care of our mind and our emotions so that we can live 
uh, a happy life. So I, I love the this question that you've asked. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that also. I think, um, I hope perhaps if there are listeners from the healthcare sector or perhaps doctors um, who find the conversation insightful, uh, they can also feel assured that there's a qualified yoga therapist around to check on this. And I do really hope your wish comes true. Perhaps more people. And I think that's a wish I hold for myself and for uh, even Indian society for that matter. Because I remember our teacher Saris uh, uh, keeps telling us that uh, we need to aspire to bring yoga therapy into the mainstream. Because it is such a potent at the same time, economical compared to all the other expensive kind of treatments that people go for, for all sorts of diseases and illnesses these days. Uh, and um, the potency is not just in recovery and pacification, but also in preventive care, right? Uh, how do you take care in a way where you don't recreate the same sorrow? Heyam dukhamanakatam, as Yoga Sutra says. So... So I th thanks for sharing that. Uh, what is your uh, wish for uh, the practice and therapy in US? Um, so as we come to the closing of this conversation, I must say that I really enjoyed uh, reconnecting in this manner and uh, going through the journey and the challenges and the inspirations. I'm sure there will be more people who might listen to and would like to reach out to you or perhaps connect with you to either to know more about yoga, yoga therapy, or maybe for a consultation. What's the best way to reach you, Stephanie? My friend, I have also sincerely enjoyed this conversation and, and this format. So um, if folks want to get in touch, I certainly invite you to um, visit my website at innerlandscapes.yoga. You can also find me... Um, playing around every now and then on Instagram at Inner Landscapes Yoga. And you do have a newsletter, which I think people can subscribe to if they want to avoid going to another website, but receive your thoughts in the inbox. So I think that's another option. Um, but yes, uh, definitely, I'm glad we had this conversation. And uh, if you are someone who is listening to this podcast and uh, there are some thoughts, reflections, responses, suggestions from what you have listened to us. Feel free to leave a comment or write to us. And uh, we really hope this conversation has been equally enjoyable to all of you. And uh, we'll reconnect Stephanie at different points. Maybe we can also uh, have conversations around more specific themes in the future on uh, what have we been working on individually and collectively. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hari. I hope you found this conversation interesting and insightful. If you would like to be updated about the subsequent podcast episodes of Yogavani, feel free to subscribe to my YouTube channel or to the Yogavani blog on yogavani.substack.com. You can also find this podcast on other, all the major podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. Thank you.
ಮಗ ಮಗ ಮದನ ಮದನಿ ನಡಿ ಸ 